you would this morning, turn with me to uh, Haggai. He's a minor prophet. Might have a little trouble finding him. He's right after Zephaniah and right before uh, Zechariah. Alright, so he's, he's between the two Z's. And uh, so he's just two chapters long. Haggai, you might have to even turn to your table of contents there. If you don't have a Bible, we actually have one in the, in the pew in front of you. It should be one there in the basket. Uh, we'd love for you to turn there if you, if you can. But Haggai, that's H-G-G-A-I. Uh, maybe you should name your child in the future that name. I'm uh, always looking for a name. But, uh, but Haggai is, an, is, a, is a prophet here, a minor prophet in the Old Testament. Now, sometimes when we start in the Old Testament, people say, why in the world are we starting there? I mean, that's, that's the old stuff. Why would we not go to the new stuff? You know? But really, you should call the Old Testament really the Older Testament. It's not old and outdated. That's not what we mean by old. And just like when I call this prophet here, Haggai, when I call him a minor prophet, I don't mean he's insignificant. He just simply doesn't write as much as, say, Isaiah does. Isaiah has 66 chapters, you know. So if you're planning on reading through a book of the Bible, if you pick Haggai, you might, might be faring a little bit better than maybe Isaiah, who's 66 chapters. So... Uh, Haggai 1, and we're going to actually start with verse 1 and read our way down just a little bit here. Notice these words. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the priest, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Let us pray. Jesus, thank You for Your Word. Your Word is holy and powerful, and so we submit to it this morning. Lord, bless this reading of Your Word and the preaching of it, and most importantly, our response to what You have to say, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, one thing as I have studied the Bible uh, and lived in God's world that I've noticed is that God likes things that grow. He loves it. I mean, if you think about it, he himself actually planted a garden. Now, I know gardens are sort of becoming popularized now. We're sort of, sort of going through this phase, you know, in America where everybody's having like a backyard garden and whatnot, you know, which is cool because that's sort of like being like God, isn't it? He actually, in the beginning, planted a garden, it says. And he actually put Adam and Eve in that garden. You know, God likes to see plants grow, He likes to see flowers grow. And trees grow from a little tiny seed into a gigantic tree, uh, like what we saw yesterday at a soccer game at, at uh, Dublin Park. This 
massive tree just sitting out in the very center of the soccer fields. I'm like, wow. And just to think, from a little bitty seed. Not only that, you. You've made it quite a long way, haven't you? From the zygote at conception, all the way through gestation, all the way to being born now and actually making it to whatever age you're at. You've grown a lot. And I I think God loves that. I think He likes how things grow. He's the one who designed it that way. It's not us who engineered it that way. But instead, it's the way we actually operate. So from plant life to animal life to human life, we grow. And I think God loves that. And one of the first commandments you may be aware of is actually be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And so this is actually one of the things God actually wants us to do. Um, and so, you know, one of, the, one of the ways to do that, of course, is, uh, is through having babies. Um, and uh, if you've looked around Harvest Point at all, we, we kind of are, are doing pretty well in that department. Uh, there was a lot of kids up here just a little moment ago. Um, it, seems like, uh, it seems like we're really being fruitful in those ways. I always kind of find it um, <clears throat> a little comical that, that we somehow in our culture have divorced... Uh, you know, copulation, sexuality uh, from babies. I'm not, I'm not sure exactly where that began to happen, except for I do kind of know, maybe in the sexual revolution of the 60s and uh, several other instances. But uh, what's happened now is we've actually divorced babies from our sexual life, which is really an interesting point because God never did that. Actually, out of marital love should grow another. Isn't this the way even God Himself is set up? If we can speak of it like that, His very nature, Father, Son, not alone, but instead Holy Spirit, this third person. And if you know how sexuality works, which you should, although I find it so fascinating, I hear people talk at at college, you know, I teach at Calhoun, and I hear them say, you know, how in the world did you get pregnant? I'm like... Do you guys really need help in that department? Like, do you not know how that works? Because it's pretty clear. Like, that's the most natural thing that could happen is for you to actually have a baby when, when you have sexual relations. Uh, and yet, somehow in our world, we, we've, we've somehow divorced that and, and it's not something God has done. Uh, God does not divorce that. And so, you say, well, look, you know, uh, Pastor Marshall, you don't have to be in competition, bro. You got, you know, Four kids and one on the way, man. You don't have to win win the race. Well, we're not trying to win the race. Uh, we, we kind of were surprised by that fifth one. But, uh, but nonetheless, some people ask, hey, how's it with four, four kids? Imagine drowning and then somebody handing you a baby. You know, that's, that's pretty accurate about, about how it is. It's, it's hard to stay above the water. I have to run a tight ship around there. But you know what? It's out of love that we have kids. It's out of love that people foster kids. It's out of love that people adopt kids into their homes. It's out of love that you mentor younger couples. It's out of love that you are a grandfather or a grandmother to somebody else in the church that doesn't have one. Or maybe a mom and dad figure for them. It's out of love, not out of some kind of you know, evolutionary scheme. It doesn't help at all to have babies if you're trying to you know, uh, be the survival of the fittest. That doesn't help at all to have babies or to give yourself to others. But in our world, what God actually likes is for things to grow. He loves it. He loves His world to grow and things are growing. And He loves His church to be growing. And here's the deal is He started out in the Old Testament with a promise. 
Just a very simple promise. As soon as they sinned, God said this to Eve, who, if you remember, was the first one to actually sin. He says to her, Through you one will come, and he will crush the head of the serpent, and the serpent will bruise his heel. Now that doesn't sound like much, I know. And prophecy, a lot of times when we read it, just really sounds quite uh, confusing, enigmatic. It is really troubling. It's, it's poetic, and that's, that's one thing. But we know who that serpent is. And ultimately, we know who that one that comes through woman is. You actually just said it a moment ago. Right? Conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of who? The Virgin Mary. There's only two people besides Jesus that are actually mentioned in the creed. And one of them is Mary, a woman. Because God made a little bitty promise, a little seed of a promise, way back in Genesis 3 and said this, yes, woman failed first, but also through woman will come salvation. And this is exactly how God enables His salvation to come into the world, who is Jesus Christ. But He doesn't stop there. He actually makes promises to Abraham. You remember that name. Abraham is one of the most recognizable figures in human history. <clears throat> i never forget walking into a, uh, into a Barnes & Noble back in 2005, and lo and behold, on the front of Time magazine was none other than Abraham. 2005! And we, he's making headlines in a secular news periodical. How is that possible? Well, because God said, I would make you famous. And when God says something, God will do it. He is faithful. That's one of the things that the Old Testament is going to continually prove to us is that God is actually faithful to His promises. That may not sound like much, but you know what? The Marines actually use a slogan that really could be said of God. In other words, they actually appreciate and use a slogan that really belongs to God, and that is Semper Fidelis. Now, I'm not saying that God spoke Latin, um, but He definitely spoke Hebrew and Greek because that's what, and Aramaic, but uh, of course all languages come from Him, but uh, I'm just trying to be funny there. But no, Semper Fidelis, Semper Fi, live or die, that's always... This is the Marines, folks. These are people that, I mean, they've been around a long time and they have waged war in a lot of places and they win. They win. And why? Because of faithfulness. You'd think it'd be like a slogan like, kill everybody, you know, skull and bones, you know, or something like that. I don't know, some kind of crazy slogan. No, it's, it's always faithful. And that's what can be said of God in the Old Testament. Notice he starts with Abraham, but what he's doing is creating a nation. And he actually grows this nation. He likes things that grow. And so he actually starts with one guy, Abraham and his family, and from that one man, he says, I'm going to actually bless the entire world through your family. And we talked about Abraham last week. If you missed it, it was a doozy. You ought to, you ought to go back and listen to it. It's online, harvestone.com. Probably a message you've never heard before, which is on, uh, on uh, circumcision of all things. So how did you navigate that? Well, you'll just have to tune in and find out. We don't have time to rehearse it again. 
Um, but he starts with Abraham, and from Abraham moves to Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, then Moses, then the people of Israel. Then you get the whole story starting to roll out as you read through the books of the Old Testament. And then what ends up happening is they finally get in the land. They're growing, they're being fruitful, things are going great until they're not. And all of a sudden you enter into the judges period and start flipping the pages thinking to yourself, what is going on with these people? Why are they doing the same old thing over and over again and getting the same old result? They begin to fail God. He comes and brings them different uh, saviors, if you will. That pull them out of that situation. Then he gives them a king. Then they become a great nation, even among the peoples of the world. And then what ends up happening is they continually sin against God. And finally, God plucks them out of the land. His own people. Why would he do that? Because even though we're meant to grow, we need to be pruned. You know, if you want your trees to be as healthy as they should be, you need to prune them. Especially certain trees like uh, crepe myrtles. They can really get away from you. They even call it crepe murdering. That's actually a, that's actually a, a term. Um, and so you chop them back and they actually will grow stronger. Pruning. And we need pruning. But we also, you know, I've been, I've been uh, you know, I kind of mentioned this a couple of times for those of you who are with us often. Uh, about my trees in my backyard. It's been quite a, quite a debacle trying to get them to grow. It's been quite a journey, really. Uh, and now they're growing strong, and I'm really excited about it. Now, I'm missing two. I've got to replace them. They died and all this kind of stuff. But, but, but the other ones are, are really growing strong. But it has been a long process. And one of the things I've done, you can ask Jessica about this uh, if, you, if you don't believe it, is I've actually taken the past month and started weeding out that back flower bed. And it had gotten away from it. I was in India. I was in Michigan. I was all over the place. My flower bed got completely out of hand and there were weeds everywhere. Kept putting it off. Started working on it last month. I'm just about finished. There's one little bitty section about this big that I got to work through. But weeds have sort of been on my mind. You know what a weed is? <clears throat> I ask these questions about all of my life because ultimately uh, God has written two books. To reveal himself to us, one is nature, and the other is the scriptures. When we look at nature, we can actually know some things about God. And he showed me something about weeds. You know what a weed is? A weed is not a particular plant. You realize that, right? Like, there's not like, oh yeah, you're a weed. No, a weed can actually be the Bermuda that's growing in your grass that you love and tend to and pay somebody to keep up. And yet it's in the wrong place. That's what a weed is. When it's just simply in the wrong place. I mean, for instance, if you have fescue growing over here, well, you don't want fescue. Or maybe St. Augustine grass, you don't want, you want Bermuda. But St. Augustine grass, you moved to Mississippi where we used to live. Everybody's got St. Augustine grass. They can't grow Bermuda there very well. So it's a weed is determined on its location of where it's growing. And so as I'm plucking away at these guys, I'm like, man, this, this weed right here, this is an impressive weed. I start over here where the little green shoot's coming up. And you know how this is, especially with, with Bermuda, like what we have. I mean, it starts becoming a cord. I start wrapping around my arm. I'm like, man, how far do you go, little guy? And he, he's all the way back at the fence. I mean, I've got, I've got a bed that's like this long. He's all the way back at the fence because he's grown his way out, kind of maneuvered his way in just to peek out and get a little sunlight. And, but he doesn't need to be there. So I have to rip him up. I have to uproot him. 
It's in the wrong place. Have you ever felt like you just didn't have victory? Like you were sort of spinning your wheels? Like you were just sort of existing? You're raising your kids, you're spending time with, some, with the family, you're going to work, you're not cheating on your wife or husband. Overall, you seem like a pretty good person, but you just seem like you're spinning your wheels. It, like you're going nowhere. Kind of like what Haggai says here, you have sown much and harvested little. You ever felt like that? You eat, but you never have enough. Drink, never have your fill. You're clothed, but there's no warmth inside. You're making wages, you're earning stuff in life, but you're putting it in your pocket and it's just going out. You ever felt like that spiritually? The people of Israel did. They were there. You see, Haggai, unique dude, he only has two chapters that we know about. He's, you know, that's his, that's his uh, fame here, is these little two chapters. It's actually just 38 verses. But he is a prophet of the restoration. He's the first prophet of restoring them to the land. They had to be uprooted because they were just spinning their wheels. They were not in the right bed, you see. Reality is, we all have weeds in our life. And, you know, it may be some kind of elaborate system to get some sunlight in our life, but it's not the right bed. You're overworking yourself for that sunlight. For that little bitty glimpses in your life of happiness or joy. Maybe you don't even have them. Maybe you're just still under the mulch. You're still in darkness. You're not even even able to reach the surface. And it's not that you're doing things just awful. You're just in the wrong bed. You're growing in the wrong place. I mean, I kind of felt sorry for some of those weeds. I was like, man, how do you even grow there, bro? Like, he's he's on the pavement. How do you grow there? And yet he's growing there. It's quite impressive, but, but listen, some of you are just spinning your wheels. You're going nowhere. You're in the wrong bed. You've planted yourself in the wrong things. It's not that you're an awful person, just, you know, ooh, don't want to be around him or her. No, it's you're in the wrong bed. You're a weed. Again, a weed is just grass in the wrong place. God wants to transplant you. Do you know that you can do that? You can actually take sod and actually transplant it to a different place, different location. And you know what? God is an expert at not soil alone. I mean, He is an expert at soil. He's the one who invented it. But at soul. At soul. Your soul. Inside here. The you that's in there. The you that when everything else is right in your life, you've got the money, you've got the house, you've got the job, you've got this, you've got family, whatever, that inside there's still emptiness. Inside, there's still darkness. Inside, there's still death. You're actually not growing. See, God wants us to get rid of the garbage in our life, literally. The things that are waste in our life, that are dragging us down, that are stinking us up. And some of us are just filled with capacity, with garbage. 
Now, you know, we have, what, six people right now in our house? Four, yeah. We're about to have seven. I mean, it's like a running a daycare every single day around there. It's like going to school, you know, running a school. You know, some of you give me amen. You're like, all right, I know that. No, that's right. Um, one of the things that's really annoying about having that many people is the garbage gets full all the time. I just replaced the bag, and the thing is, is flowing over. And, you know, I, uh, the other day, um, <laughs> I walked to the... Uh, I walked to the uh, garbage can, and Jessica actually saw me do this. I, I try to, I try, I'm the one of these presser downs. You know what I'm saying? Like, when I see it, I'm like, all right, grab me a milk car, empty milk carton. Let's press this thing down. I know it can go further than that. Right? So I'm like pushing it down instead of having to take it out. I don't want to take it out. And it's not that long of a walk. It's just, I don't know, for some reason I just don't want to take the garbage out. Um, and so she's like, hey, you know, garbage needs to be taken out. I'm like, maybe it can be pressed down. Well, this thing, I was like, babe, are y'all trying to like make a world record how much you can get in here? I mean, it was like stacked up with food and everything. It was, you couldn't even close the lid. If you close the lid, you're going to have nasty food on it. I'm like, all right, well, um, I need to throw this away. So I walked all the way across the house to throw something away instead of taking out the garbage. Because again, I just didn't want to take out the garbage. I did more work to go to another garbage can, open it up, get the stuff in there. And then, you know, the Lord instructed me and said, hey, um, your life is like that. Like, what are you talking about? I'm lazy or something? No, no, no. You've got garbage in your life. And you just don't want to deal with it. Who knows why? I don't know why I don't like to take out. I mean, it's not that hard of a chore to do. But it's just something I don't want to do most of the time. And in our life, we have these things that, that keep overflowing. Keep stinking up our life. And we try to hide them. We try to close the lid. We try to, you know, hey, let's direct people over here to this garbage can to use. But at the end of the day, people see it. And it hurts other people. The garbage in our life. God can take that from us. He can clean us up. That's what He's in the business of doing. I know it's kind of weird sometimes for people who aren't Christians to sing about blood. <laughs> you know, it's kind of odd. Uh, if, you, you know, if you're not familiar with church, you know, you're like, nothing but the blood. You know, it's like, oh, what, 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 is, is somebody about to be sacrificed? Like, what's going on? Is everybody okay? Some dude going to come out with a knife? You know, I mean, I can sure, it, it, you know, that's not going to happen, okay? Uh, Jesus has already been the one sacrifice that we need. Not going to happen. He, he's enough. And that's why we sing of his blood is because he actually did come to take out the garbage. Us. Just like he did with Israel. Do you know why he ripped them from the land? Uprooted them? Trashed them? You could say. It's to heal them. It was actually to heal them. And it hurts though to get healed. It actually hurts to be healed. A few months back, uh, Bo, riding in the cul-de-sac, and, uh, you know, I wasn't even there at the time. Jessica was there, and somebody says, hey, you know, Bo's hurt, he's crying. Well, I mean, if you attended every single time to, some, to somebody crying in a house full of, you know, six people, um, I mean, it'd be a full-time job, which is probably why Jessica stays home, I guess. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's one of these things that when somebody's crying, you don't just immediately just run in there, freak out. I mean, people cry all the time around our house, all right? So she's like, okay, yeah, big deal. Just tell them to come in, whatever. Um, so somebody's like, no, 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 no. Y'all don't think you understand. Like, his face is jacked up. You know what I mean? Like, 
All right, well, I'll get a napkin. No, 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 we need a whole roll of paper towels. Dude's bleeding from his face. So he comes up. He had had a wreck. He had busted his lip, literally split the thing, chipped a tooth. I mean, it was a disaster, and it's just pouring blood. So, of course, I get the phone call. All right, I'll meet you up there, you know. And so I get up there to the hospital, and, and we've sort of had this drill before, you know, with somebody's eye and a couple places and whatnot. So we get up there, and, uh, and I know what's coming. I, I know what's going to I mean, it's, it's got to be stitches. Now, <laughs> for, for a, a three-year-old, four-year-old, stitches is not, not really a fun thing. Um, you know, a little baby, they don't know what's about to happen, you know, so they just say, okay, yeah, right on, you know. But, they, but no, it's for those people, they know what the shot is. They know what, they know what stitches are. And so, so we take him in there, and, and I mean, you know, he's, he's, he's not crying yet, um, and I, I'm hoping that he doesn't remember some of his past where this has happened before. And so I take him in there, and, and the doctor says, okay, we're going to have to do stitches. I said, yeah, I figure so. He said, Dad, would you mind helping uh, hold him down? And my mom and dad were there actually at the, at, at the time as well. So I was going to hold his, his uh, shoulders and my dad was going to hold his feet. And, of course, my mom and uh, Jessica were going to sit in the back and cry. And so, um, you know, I, uh, we wrapped him up in, in the um, sheet in order to kind of constrict him. And, uh, of course, at that point, he started freaking out. You know, I mean, at that point... I mean, he's really freaking out. Uh, he's wrapped up. Now his dad is holding him down, you know, and, and, and his grandpa is holding him down. I mean, from his perspective, can you just imagine that real quick? From his perspective, his own father is holding him down, allowing somebody else that he doesn't know to actually hurt him. I mean, bring a huge needle into your lip. I mean, I don't want to get real mess somebody up. I've already had a kid pass out and start seizing the other week, so I don't want to do that uh, in class um, at Calhoun, but I don't want anybody to do that. But, I mean, this is serious business. The needle's coming down. I'm holding. He's screaming. And I can just imagine what he's thinking. He's thinking, why is my father doing this? Why is he letting this man hurt me? Like, why? I've already been hurt. Why is he hurting me more? But you see, as I looked into his face, and he's just screaming, and he's scared, and he doesn't know what's going on, he's confused. I just kept saying, buddy, I love you, this is going to be over in a minute. And you know in those moments, he can't understand what's really happening. He can't really, gra- I mean, it's not a time for me to give a dissertation on, hey, you know, you actually just have to push through this, and, or to coach him in that way. You just have to say, I love you. And you know what? God always teaches me when we get stitches at our house. He says, you know what? You've been through some dark times, some tough times too, Marshall. And I was there saying to you that I loved you and all you did was scream at me. That's all right. I can take it. I'm a big boy. I held you down through that time so you could be healed. I know what you need more than you know. It's one of the greatest declarations of being a Christian is you are God, I am not. And I kept saying, Daddy loves you. You know what God says to us? I love you. You can scream at me. That's okay. You can get very angry at me. I mean, if he knew some dirty words, he probably would have used them at that point. 
Some of us have done that to God, haven't we? Screamed at Him, been angry with Him. He's a big boy, He can take it. He looks us directly in the face today and says, I love you. Now, you know what that little boy did? This is my Bobo. So, you know, he's got a special place. He's the blondie uh, with curly hair. And so, after I held him down, he's screaming at me. As soon as we got, as soon as the stitches were in, he's healed up. As soon as we let him go, guess what he does? Run away from me? Hate me forever? No, he hugged me in a way that brings tears to my eyes. And he didn't let me go for the next two hours. Right here on his dad. The very one who held him down and allowed somebody else to hurt him. Because you know why? I'm a good father. That's why. I know more than him. And he trusts me now. He knows what's going on. Do you trust the good father? He knows what's going on. We don't. You can blame. You can cry. You can get angry. But at the end of the day, we must trust that He is only good. In Him is no darkness at all. He did not start this mess. This is not His garbage. And yet He became one of us a zygote and grew in Mary and was born of Mary and grew up as a little bitty child needing His diaper chained taking on headaches and stomach aches and this body that all of us share in. And He took that on Himself, even though He didn't have to. Why? Because of us. He is a good God. In Him is no darkness, zero zilch. The darkness is on us. The darkness is on the serpent. But you know what the good news is? (laughs) That little promise in Genesis 3 came true in Jesus Christ. And He crushed the head of the serpent. And even though He was bruised for our iniquities, and because of His blood poured out, that we still remember to this day, we now have salvation. And not only salvation to exist, but victory. Do you hear me? Victory. You can live a victorious life over sin, death, garbage, and the weeds in your life. And He can be the gardener. He's good at it. And He's leading us to a city. A city not made by human hands. Therefore, not fallen. You see, where He's bringing us to is to a place of producing fruit. At Harvest Point, we have three things that we focus on as our mission statement. Preparing souls, which is the playoff soil. Preparing souls for heaven. By planting seeds of the gospel so that we can bear fruit of the kingdom. Produce fruit in God's world. He wants you producing good things. Life to others and not death. And the only way we're going to do that, the only way we can produce anything good is to repent of our sin and believe in Jesus Christ. Believe, as Paul says, on Jesus Christ. Lay your life on the one who has laid his life down for you. Allow him, even today, to plant you in the right place, the right garden, 
So you're not just spinning your wheels. So people are not plucking you up like I'm doing my weeds constantly. Spraying on you and killing off any good thing. No, instead you can grow into a tree that actually bears fruit. Did you hear Psalm 1 this morning? What's the, what's the illustration he uses there in the middle of the psalm? Is to be a tree planted by streams of water. Bearing fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither in all that He does. Now we're not any longer talking about a tree. In all that He does, He prospers. If you're going to prosper and not be like Haggai's people that He's prophesying to, putting stuff in and it's falling out, spinning your wheels, eating and never being satisfied, if you want true joy in Jesus Christ, that's the only place it's found is in Him. He's the center of all things. If you're trying to do anything else, if you're trying to plant yourself or build your own garden or plant your own garden somewhere else, it won't work in the end. It will not work in the end. But if you allow Him to plant you, He's the only one who can give increase to your life. Let me tell you, that joy that He can give is unspeakable. You can have everything in the world and not have Jesus and have, no, have nothing. Or you can have nothing in this world and have Jesus and have everything. That is as true today as it ever has been. So in conclusion, we've sort of, as in fishing, we've sort of dropped a line. When you drop a line, you got bait on there, and you expect sort of a tug. Some of you, God has actually tugged at your heart. Now it's time to start reeling that in. Remember the other scripture, draw nigh unto me, and I will draw near unto you. If God has spoken to your heart, if you have felt impressed this morning by something, anything in the service that that He has pointed out to you or highlighted in your soul, then I want you to have time to respond to that. And the way we respond is through prayer. And one of the ways that we respond is through actually getting the body involved. I mean, in all of your great decisions in life, you get your body involved. I mean, if your team won or lost, you get your body involved. Man, yeah, right? Sorry to bring that up. (laughs) Now we want to respond to God. He's already responded to us. You've already heard the good news. Make that good news for you. Maybe you say, I already believe Jesus died on the cross, all this kind of stuff. What about for you? Has Has it become real to you? Have you allowed Him to apply His blood, His sacrifice to your own life? It's not enough just to simply believe in your head. We must do it. We must obey. So obey we will. Amen.